Well, amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter 12, we'll be reading in verses 1 and 2 together this morning. And as we enter into a time of transition and change in the life of our church, um, I was given the opportunity to preach over the next three weeks, and I began to ask the Lord to show me what it is that He would have us hear, what He would have us do in the coming weeks and months. And what the Lord kind of showed me was very simply this, that we need to go back to the basics, that we need to focus our eyes on Jesus Christ, because the, the simple truth is this, that Riverview Baptist Church is not any one man's church. Riverview Baptist Church is not your church. Riverview Baptist Church is not my church. Riverview Baptist Church is the church of Jesus Christ. It belongs to Him. And so because of that, we are going to fix our eyes on Him. And that we don't need to, to change. We don't need to fret. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. The Lord holds it in His hands. And so as we seek Him, we will do the things that we are called to do as a church. We will continue to be faithful. We will continue to press forward. And we will do it together. And that is um, what I hope that God reminds us of as we look at Romans chapter 12 together over the next three weeks. We'll be looking at today at knowing God's will, the next week being God's church, and then the following week living God's design. And I want to go ahead and just kind of preview for you real quickly that toward the end of our time today, we'll have a, an extended prayer time. And so you'll have the opportunity to bring prayer requests to the front. Um, in the seat back pocket in front of you, you'll find a prayer card there. And if the Lord leads you, we would encourage you to come and, and um, share your prayer requests so that our staff can pray for you uh, in the coming week. But go ahead and stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. We'll be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 together today. This is what the Word of the Lord says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now and... We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is alive and active. And Lord, we pray now that as we open it, God, that you would clear our minds, that you would quiet our spirits. Father, that you would allow us to truly hear from you today, and that we, that we would walk out of this place and this time transformed. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you're not finished with us. God, we thank you that you have a plan for each and every person in this room, and we pray that we would be faithful to seek you and to obey you. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, if we, any of us in this room, have been Christians very long, one of the things that we see in the Bible is God revealing himself to individuals, and in doing so, revealing his will to different individuals throughout biblical history. And we, too, want to know God's will. We desire to know God's will because many of us are convinced that God's ways are best, that God's ways are right. And so oftentimes, as a pastor, 
there's a question that, that pastors get asked, and, and that is this. What is God's will for my life? How can I know God's will? Or maybe the question goes something like this. Where can I find in the Bible what career to choose or which person to marry or how much money to save each month? Which pastor should we call to lead our church? Can the Bible tell us these things? And the answer is specifically, situationally, no, right? God's, Bible, God's word is not a, just a reference book for us to flip through and use in that way. But we can find in God's word generally his will for every person in this room. We can find in God's word what he desires of us and how he desires that we should live. You see, as Christians, we are not in the business of fortune-telling. We're not in the business of soothsaying and trying to figure out every detail of what tomorrow holds. As believers, we are in the business of following Jesus Christ. And God's word is more than sufficient for that purpose. God's word is more than sufficient to help us know how to do that and how to do it well. You see, you and I will never know God's specific will for our lives without first being obedient to God's general will for our lives. We're not going to figure out the specific details of exactly what God wants us to do until we're willing to be faithful to do the very basic things that he's already given us to do. And that's what Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 reveal to us. I don't know God's specific will for your life, but I want to share with you two things that are God's will for every person in this room. Two things that Romans 12, 1 and 2 shows us. Verse 1 shows us the what. The what that every Christian is supposed to live out, what he desires from us. And verse 2 shows us then how God expects us to do it, how we can access and cooperate with God to be able to live the lives that he calls us to live. And so the first thing, I want us to read verse 12, 1 again. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God's will for you today, God's will for me today, is that we would worship well. That we would worship well. There's, there's a right way to approach worship, and there is a wrong way to approach worship. And the, the simple fact of the matter is that we worship well when we live in a way that says we value Jesus more than anything else. That Jesus is better than anything else that, that's going to enter my life this week or tomorrow or in the past. See, oftentimes, we're tempted to just think of worship as something that happens on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock and at 1045. And in a sense, that's not totally wrong. That's not totally off base. Because we do worship corporately. There is a corporate aspect to worship as we gather gather together as God's people, as we sing praises to His name, as we hear His word preached. And so this is not completely wrong, But we must not forget that worship is deeply personal. It is corporate, but it's also personal. And the way that we live in the daily grind, in front of our families, with our our co-workers, out there in the world, is what Paul has in mind here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so if we're going to worship God well, I would submit to you today that there's three things that that you and I must do. Three things that God calls us to do. And the first thing is this. We must actively delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
we must actively, purposefully, intentionally remind ourselves of the gospel. You see, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Another translation says, therefore, in view of God's mercies. And so the question should arise then, what are these mercies to you and to me? What are these mercies? What's Paul talking about? And what Paul specifically has in mind is literally every word of Romans chapters 1 through 11 that have preceded this passage. And, and what's incredible about that is that Romans chapter 1 through 11 is, is in just outrageously deep, rich theology about what it means to be justified, what it means to be forgiven, how grace is, is going to work itself out in the life of the believer, and then God's sovereign will for the world. All of these things are contained in these first 11 chapters. And some of the greatest preachers in America have literally spent seven, nine, ten years working through just this one book. That's how rich, that's how deep these passages are. But I just want us to be reminded together of these mercies. So I want us to just turn. We're going to flip just a little bit. So hold your spot here in Romans 12. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I just want to read this to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the simple fact of the matter is, the reality is that every person in this room at one time, and perhaps even still, if you have not turned of your sin, turned away from your sin and repented, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, We are all enemies of God in and of ourselves. There's a time where we were not at peace with God. We are subjects and objects of his wrath because of our sin and our sinfulness, and deservedly so. But because of what Jesus has done, because of the life that Jesus lived, and that the fact that he came to this earth and he lived as a sinless man and died in our place on the cross and rose again, We have justification. We have forgiveness. We have our debt wiped clean. This is what Paul has in mind. And I just want to read Romans 8, verse 1 to you as well. And it just says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter who you are or who you've been. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have given your heart and life to him and allowed him to become the king of your life, you are no longer condemned. And there is nothing that can change that. There is no opinion of man. There is no sense in which we should have to walk around and carry this intense guilt for sins that we've committed in the past. No, we're set free. We're no longer condemned. This is God's mercy to you and to I, to me. You and I cannot truly grasp God's goodness to us. Have you ever thought about that? That you and me cannot ever actually understand God's kindness and goodness to us? In fact, we're going to spend the rest of eternity experiencing it. Unending, unhindered, unfettered joy. Unending, unhindered, unfettered peace 
in the presence of Almighty God. Words cannot describe it. The gospel would be good news to you and to me if all that happened was this. From the moment that we accepted Christ, that we were just had our slates wiped clean. If we just had our slates wiped clean and then disappeared, didn't have to deal with the condemnation, didn't have to deal with the punishment that awaits us in an eternal hell, if we didn't have to face those things, that would be good news. But that's not where the gospel stops. You see, the gospel would be really good news, great news even, if all that we got was our sins forgiven and then we got to somehow enter heaven as slaves. And we just got to, to taste the crumbs of God's goodness in heaven together for the rest of eternity. That would be good news. But that's not where the gospel stops. The gospel is not only that your sins are forgiven and you get to enter heaven as a slave. No, no, no. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I literally become the children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. And everything that is Christ's is mine when I enter into that kingdom. Not because I deserve it, not because I'm going to earn it, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And the same can be true for you today, friend, if you'll place your trust and faith in him. The gospel is so rich and so good. You see, a lifetime of all the money and all the world, with all the food and all the laughter and all the meaningful experiences that this world could conjure up, will not equal one millisecond of the joy that awaits us. Can you imagine that? God does not count our sins against us, though we deserve it. You see, as we delight in the gospel, as we delight in the fact that God has not given us what we deserve, but he has bought us and brought us near to him, we are freed to obey him from a heart motivated by grace. We no longer have to to try to walk around in fear thinking about how we're going to earn our way to God or how we're going to be good enough. No, those things are finished. Those things are done. I have an older friend who illustrates this very well. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that if we're delighting in the gospel well, if we're really thankful, if we're really excited, then we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about what he's done for us. And I have an an older friend who's incredibly enthusiastic. At at 75 years old, he has more energy than I do at 31. And if he's in the supermarket, he's going to talk to somebody about Jesus. Not because he's trying to, to evangelize necessarily, but because he loves Jesus. Because he's been forgiven. Because he's thankful. And that's just what he wants to do. I just want to talk about God today. Just like some of us here like to talk about our favorite sports team. He just likes to talk about God. And so if we're delighting well in the gospel, if we're truly understanding God's goodness and mercies to us, then we definitely will be motivated to live lives of obedience, motivated by grace. This is what we're called to do. This is what we must do if we're going to honor God and we're going to live lives of worship. But not only that, We must obey God in every area of life. Not only must we delight in the gospel, and we have to do that first, but we must also obey God in every area of life. You see, faith-filled obedience is the key to knowing God. Faith-filled obedience is the key for you and me to know God. But 
Obedience alone is religious fundamentalism and performancism. You see, the world is full of, of religions all over the world that will tell you, this is how you get to God. You do this, and you do that, and you don't do this, and you don't do that, and you go on this trek, and you go on this journey, and you do these things, and this is how you get to know God. That is not what we believe. That is not what Christians teach. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died and we've arrived if we trust in him. I want to read to you from Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 through 4 very quickly. Go ahead and and, um, flip in your Bibles. Hold your spot in Romans 12. I told you we'd be flipping around just a little bit today. But I want to read in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4, because I think it's so important to see this, that God's plan, God's design of how he desires to relate to his people has not changed. You see, the Psalms obviously were written in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. But God's plan and what he desires and expects of his people is the same then as it is today. Let's read in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands... And a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. You see, the word clean hands is a picture. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the Jewish people had to perform certain laws, certain ceremonial laws, when they were to enter into God's presence. When they were about to go in and offer a sacrifice, there were certain things that they were actually forced to do before entering into the temple. And one of those things was to be ceremonially, ceremonially clean. They had to wash themselves. So they had to have clean hands. And this is a living illustration, a picture for them and for us that we're called to be outwardly clean. Our lives should be holy. Our lives should look different than the people around us, than the world around us. We are called to be outwardly clean. But here's the deal. Every religion, in some form or fashion, calls their people to be outwardly clean. What God also calls and expects from us is described as a pure heart. And in many ways, it's much harder. A pure heart. A pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false. You see, the cleanness that God expects, the purity that God expects involves the totality of all that we are. It involves the entire person. And so that I'm not going to say to God, Lord, I'll give you this portion of my soul, I'll give you this portion of my life, but I'm going to hold off something over here. I'm going to hold back just a little bit from you. See, that's not pure. God expects all that we are, inside and out. This is what he calls us to It is so easy to lift up our souls to what is false. It's a struggle that you and I have every single moment of every single day. Because all of life has the potential to show God or to show how God is better and give glory to Him or become an idol and take glory away from Him. Every aspect of life, a boat, a business, a sports team, a relationship, any of these things can take God's rightful place in our hearts. What's meant to be held down here and show the world that God is good because we say, you know what, this is really great. I'm really thankful for this relationship. I'm really thankful for God's gift to me in this person. But it's not as good as Jesus. You know what, sports are really fun. And I can enjoy that and I can watch the Super Bowl next week and I can have a blast. But you know what, it's not as good as Jesus. And as we do that, 
and we display that to a watching world, we glorify, we worship, we demonstrate how good he is. This is what he calls us to. This is what he expects of us. The simple fact of the matter, though, is that we live in a culture that's very used to compartmentalizing. We compartmentalize our lives. We compartmentalize our children at school, this grade. First graders go here. Second graders go here. Third graders go here. We compartmentalize our social lives. I have one set of friends at church. I have a different set of friends at work. I have a different set of friends out here in my social life. And we compartmentalize our roles. I have one role at work, at school. I have another role at home. I have a different role at church. We compartmentalize. And here's what I want you to hear, friends, is that compartmentalizing will kill you when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Compartmentalizing is deadly. Our lives oftentimes are like houses with hallways and different rooms. We might have a room for, for a sports scenario. We might have a room that no one else really gets to see over here that's, that's our thought life. And perhaps there's another room that only my, my family really sees and really knows back here because it's the room that I live in, in front of my marriage. It's the room that, that I act out things at home. And then we have a work room. And maybe even sometimes my family doesn't know everything that's going on over here in the work room. You see, there's all kinds of rooms that we have in our lives, but the simple truth is this. There's really only two kinds of rooms. There's rooms that are in the light, and there's rooms that are in the dark. There's rooms that we have surrendered to Jesus, and we have said, Lord, come into this room, come into this place of my life. You are my king, you are my God. I want your light and life to shine forth. And then there's rooms that we haven't done that. And perhaps unintentionally, perhaps unintentionally. But there are some rooms that are even more scary and and more deadly. And these are the rooms that maybe the Lord has shined his light on. Hey, this needs to change. This should be different. You should let me in. And our reaction, our response is to shut the door and lock it. Because we say, Lord, I'm not ready yet. I don't want to give you that room. I'm not ready for you to come into that space. And so we compartmentalize, and if we do, we damage the very fellowship that you and I are made for. We damage the very thing that we say we want when we give our lives to Christ. When we give our lives to Christ, He's not just our Savior. When we give our lives to Christ, He's not coming just to save us from our sins, although He does that, but He is also our Lord. He is our King. And so we usurp His role in our lives when we say, Lord, I know you're King, but I'm going to act like King for a minute, and you can't come in over here. To lock Jesus out of a room is to disobey. We must allow Jesus to enter every area of our lives. What room have you held back from him today? Not only should we delight in the gospel, not only should we obey God in every area of life, but we must also submissively thank God for every situation that comes into our lives. Can I just be honest with you? I think this is the hardest one for me. I think this one's the hardest one for me. To be thankful constantly. The simple truth is is you and I are not worshiping well if we're not being thankful. We don't display that God is better, that God is, is more worthy when we're not thankful. 
I had a, a situation that came into my life on Thursday of this week that was unexpected and very unwelcome. And to be completely honest, I was not thankful. I was not happy. I didn't walk around and say, thank you, Lord, for this unexpected adventure you've sent me on today. But I was called to. I was called to do that. And here's how. Here's why. The response I should have had is, oh, in view of your mercies, Lord, this is so small. In view of what you've done for me, in view of of everything that Paul talks about in Romans 1 through 11, this is nothing. It doesn't matter. And so I can have joy and I can have peace and I can be thankful because of who you are and what you've done in my life, how you've set me free from sin, how you have changed me, how you are transforming me. We are called to be thankful in every situation. A complaining spirit simply says that we worship ourselves. It shows that our comfort and our dreams and our goals and our own little kingdoms are what really matter to us. But here's the key. It's not enough to just stop complaining outwardly. You see, on that Thursday, when all those things happened, I didn't complain outwardly. I didn't hang my head and say, man, kick the dirt. I didn't do that. But inside, inwardly, I was complaining. Why me? Why today? Why now? You see, we may be outwardly smiling, while we're inwardly dying. There are people that come to churches and sit in pews all across America on Sunday mornings that are outwardly smiling and they're inwardly dying. Hey, brother, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. I'm good. I'm doing fantastic. When the truth of the situation is that I'm broken. Hey, friend, how's it going this week? Great. The truth is I'm bitter and I'm angry. You see, if that's you today, if you're here and you're hurting, you're frustrated, maybe you're ashamed, confess that to the Lord. He already knows it. He already sees it. He knows you better than you know yourself. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all else. Our hearts deceive us. We don't always know what's in our hearts, but God does. And so he can face it. He can deal with it. He can handle it. And so do not be ashamed. Don't hide it from him. Share with him your struggle. Share with him what it is you're facing and ask him to change your heart. He's faithful. I think that we often lose our thankfulness as believers, many of us that have been following Christ for a long time, is because we forget that following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus will cost you if you do it well. It absolutely will And the truth is, if following Jesus is not costing you very much right now, it may be that it's because you're not following very closely right now. God desires that our following him would cost us. Again, because when a watching world sees us as believers lose our comfort, when a watching world sees us lose our jobs, when a watching world sees us struggle through a marital situation, and we still have joy, and we still say God is better, they say, that's different. That's weird. That doesn't look normal. That's worship. That's worship. When we walk through difficulty in life, and we're able to say, this is hard, 
and, and, I, and maybe even through tears, I'm not happy about this scenario. But I know whom I have believed, and I know that he is able. And so I'm going to trust him, and it's going to be okay. And I can smile through the tears. This is what God calls us to. Everyone worships something. What is it that you're worshiping today? God's will for you is that your life be a sacrifice of praise to him. A sacrifice will cost you, but it's good. A sacrifice will cost you, but it's worth it. So not only does God desire that we would worship him and worship him well, not just worship him on our terms, but God also desires that we would renew our minds. We've talked about the what. Now we're going to shift gears for a moment and talk about the how. Okay, we just laid out some things, if we're just being totally honest, that are impossible. To always be thankful. To obey always. To always delight in the gospel. I don't do that all the time. I can't. But God tells us in verse 2 how. How we can cooperate with him to grow, to be transformed, to be renewed. Let's read verse 2 together. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You and I will never worship well if we will not renew our minds. Why? Because each of us needs to be transformed. Each of us needs change. Each of us needs renewal. We're already saved. You see, according to, to Romans 1 through 11, we're already justified. We've already been brought near. We're already new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has come, or the old has passed and the new has come, excuse me. But we have to learn to live like it. We've got to learn to live into what we already are. God has already saved us. He's already brought us near. But it's not going to be easy. We have to train ourselves. And what God's word is telling you and me is this, that the main battlefield for transformation is the battlefield of the mind. Our minds are programmed, much like a computer. They're pre-programmed to love us, to love self, to seek our way. And what we need, even though we've been justified, even though we've been saved, even though we've been made a child of God, that's what we really are. It's going to take the rest of our lives to work that out. And the way that we're going to need to work it out, the way that God has called us to work it out, is through our minds. It's interesting. It's fascinating, really. Science actually backs this up. There's a lot of studies that have been uh, performed in different scientific fields recently about the mind. What is the mind? Is it just located in the brain? Is there more to us than just the physical aspect? We would obviously answer yes. But studies show this, that as habits are formed in a person, there are literal pathways that begin to be made from neuron to neuron as electrical impulses are sent back and forth, that these pathways begin to be carved. You ever heard somebody say, I'm stuck in a rut? In a real sense, they actually are. Because what happens is this, is that pathways are created when you have a thought. And those pathways are strengthened when you have repeated thoughts about the same thing. 
And when the same pathway has been used many times over and over and over again, suddenly thoughts are able to cross this pathway with less effort than ever before. And that's a habit. This is how they're formed. And here's what God's Word says. Renew your mind. Don't keep living out these old pathways, these old ruts that have been carved in you and shaped in you for years and years and years. You need to be changed. You need to be transformed. And here's how you do it. It's your mind, Christian. Our minds are literally being physically shaped and transformed by the things we give ourselves to. So, what you think about, you will desire. And what you desire, you will ultimately act on. It's a famous pastor that has talked a lot about that. John Owen, a theologian, wrote on this idea that what I think about, I will desire. And what I desire, I'll ultimately act on. He said, God has given us a mind God has given us affections, emotions, desires that churn inside of us. And in time, if these affections and desires churn long enough, if they turn inside of us long enough, we'll act on that. So the question quickly becomes, if our lives are shaped and transformed by our thoughts, what is shaping my life? What's shaping me? What am I giving myself to? Is it a TV show or the news, or some sort of music, or maybe it's even just another person. But what is it that I'm allowing to transform me, to shape me into that image? You see, I want my mind to be shaped by Jesus Christ, who knows me and made me and gave himself up for me. I don't want it to be shaped by TV. I don't want it to be shaped by all these different things that the world offers. Because I know that his ways are best. But can I be honest with you? It's not always easy. It's a struggle. A place that, that I, I struggle with from time to time is food. Just being honest. Anybody like food in here? Yeah, we all do. We're Baptists. But, but here's how this works out in my, in my mind, in my world. So I can be in my office, and I can be really focused on things that, that actually matter. And suddenly, my stomach begins to rumble at 11 o'clock. And I think, man, I'm getting kind of hungry. I wonder what I'm going to have today. And I start thinking about, oh, man, a big old greasy cheeseburger sounds really good. Maybe with some fried onion rings and a Coke. Sounds pretty perfect. And the next thing I know, I'm eating all that and some chili cheese fries too, right? Why? Because what I thought on and what I allowed to shape my mind eventually changed my desires. And once I desired it enough, I acted on it. You see, this is true when it comes to the spiritual warfare that we're all engaged in. This is true for each and every one of us. What are the things that we're giving ourselves to? This is so important because a large part of our behavior, almost 90% of our behavior, is not pre-planned. You see, 90% of our behavior is not premeditated. Here's what I mean. None of us, I don't think, would wake up at 6 a.m. on a Monday morning and say, okay, here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to 
get up and try to get dressed, and my children are going to be acting crazy, and we're going to get out the door late, and then we're going to go to work, and on my way to work, I'm going to have a flat tire, and then I have that flat tire, and I get to work, and then someone's mean it to me, and then suddenly, at 1013, I'm going to explode in rage at my coworkers. No one plans that, right? No one desires necessarily to do that, to have that kind of a day, but it happens. Why? Because it's natural. It's the natural thing to do, but listen, friends, it's the fallen thing to do. You see, we need our minds to be renewed. We don't plan to get angry. We don't plan necessarily to covet. We don't plan to lust, but we do. We need to be transformed. And so I want to give you four tools this morning, four tools that that God gives us for renewal, four tools that we have in our arsenal to help renew us. The first one is the most obvious one. It's God's Word. I need my mind to be renewed, so I need to park my nose here. Not in a way that says, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible today, and I'm going to check that box, and then I'm going to move on, because then at least I've read my Bible today. Not in that way at all, but in a way that approaches God's Word and says, Lord, I need to know you. I need my mind renewed, because if it's not, I'm going to live for myself out here. And so, Father, please show me from your word, what you would have me here today. God, help me not just to read it and forget it. God, help me to remember what you've taught me and help me to turn back to it so that when I do get knocked off balance and I do get into a place in life where, where my emotions begin to change and I begin to get frustrated or whatever, that alarm bells would go off and I would remember, I need to come back to this. I don't need to just act out whatever feels right in the moment. I need Jesus. I need to turn to him. I need to turn to his word. I cannot stress to you the importance of God's word in renewing our minds. But next, we have another tool. We have prayer. We have prayer. I think if we're honest, that sometimes prayer can be a struggle. Because I think many of us have fallen into this sort of thinking. Okay, if prayer is primarily about asking God for things, and God is sovereign, and he's totally in control, and he's going to do whatever he's going to do, then why pray? If God has it all figured out, then why ask him for these things? But I would submit to you, while requests and petitions are an important part of prayer, they are not the purpose of prayer. You see, the purpose of prayer is to commune with our Creator. God didn't make us for a religion. He made us for a relationship. And so as we pray, as we seek Him, God does what only He can do, and He works in our hearts to transform them, to change our desires, and to help us see that He really is everything that He promises to be. He actually really, truly is better. And so whatever my desire is that I thought was so, so, so important, if I have Jesus, it's okay. If God doesn't answer my prayer the way that I think he needs to answer it, that's fine because he's God. And what I really need is just to know him. And see, we become convinced from the heart that he's enough as we pray. This is how God desires that we pray. So we have God's word, we have prayer, and then we have praise. We have praise that we would thank God, that we would 
outwardly say to him how worthy he is. We can do that in song, most commonly. That tends to be how we do it. And as I've talked about worship, not just being corporate, but also personal. Praise is also both of these. It is corporate, but it's also personal. Um, I think many of us can, can kind of laugh at this shared experience. Perhaps you've done that, and you've been in your car, and you're driving, and it's just you in the car, right? And you're driving down the street, and maybe it's your favorite song that comes on the radio, and you begin to sing, and you're at the stoplight, and you're just letting it out, right? And then all of a sudden, you open your eyes, and someone's kind of pointing and laughing the other car over, right? See, praise can be both corporate and personal. In fact, it should be. And so we can do that through song. We can praise him through prayer. We can praise him by just talking about him. This is what God did in my life today. This is what he's doing in my life right now. And we can praise his goodness to us as we do that. And then lastly, I would submit to you that God has given us other believers. The church. God has given us other believers, not just to come here and and sing songs at 1045. That is not the only reason that the church exists. God has given us other believers to build us up, to hold us accountable, to help teach us about who he is, to bear our burdens, to exercise our spiritual gifts together. God has given us other believers to help us be renewed. But I would just say this to you, we have to actually do these things. We have to actually do the things that God calls us to do. It's not enough to just come and sit on a Sunday morning. That's why we encourage you to get involved in life groups. That's not taking advantage of what God has given us in one another as Christians. We need community. We need people that will speak truth into our lives, even when we don't want to hear it. We need friends that will do that for us. And so God has given us his word. He's given us prayer. He's given us praise. He's given us other believers. And the list could go on. But these are the, the, the first four that I would encourage you to consider in your own life. So if you're here today and you want to know God's will, start by worshiping him with your whole life. Start renewing your mind. Then you will be able to discern what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here's, here's the bottom line. You and I don't need to know God's specific plan for tomorrow as much as you and I need to know Jesus today. We don't need to know what's going to happen next week or next month or next year. Not nearly as much as I just need to know Jesus today. Because it's, here's the truth. Jesus is the first and the last He's the beginning and the end. He's the one who creates our todays and controls our tomorrows. And to know, to love, to obey Jesus is to be in the center of God's will. So instead of trying to discern and soothsay and figure out what God's will is, be in God's will. Do it today. Ask him to transform you. Ask him to renew you so that you can live the life that he calls you to live. Worship God well with your whole life. And you won't miss God's will. This is what he calls us to in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Will you do it today? If you're here today and, and you know that there's a room in your life that you haven't allowed Jesus to enter into, um, I want to ask you to just take a moment 
and go ahead and, and start writing that on the prayer card in the seat in front of you. I'm in a moment, I'm going to ask our musicians to come up. But I just want to encourage you that we all have different places in our lives that we need to surrender to Jesus. And so as we sing this next song, you'll have a moment to come forward and, and just kind of symbolically lay whatever that thing may be at the altar. Symbolically come and leave it and say, Jesus, I give this thing to you, whatever it is. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a sin that you haven't repented of. Maybe it's just something that you're not sure what God's will is, and you're trying to figure it out, and you're saying, Lord, I'm not any longer going to, to try to figure this thing out on my own. I want to know what you want from me. So in a few moments, you'll have the opportunity to bring those forward as the song plays. But here's the other thing that, that I want to do as a church that I want to challenge you to. After um, this next song ends, I'm going to ask every member of Riverview Baptist Church, if you're a member and you're able, to come forward as close as you can to this altar and for us to pray together as a church. You see, we don't need to know God's will for tomorrow as much as we need to know Jesus today, church. And God does have a man for our church. And we will know when the time is right. But we need to be faithful and obedient to be the church God calls us to be here and now. And so we're going to pray together as God's church to, to allow us, please, Lord, to be faithful. God, help us to do that. But if you're here today and you have a prayer request as we sing this next song together, you bring that forward.